is beautiful It's got my mind on you And everywhere I turn is a reminder Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, introduce him. It says, in the beginning, not really a beginning, because the, uh, God has no beginning and no ending was the Word. In Greek, it's ho logos, a reference to the Lord, God the Son. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, the Lord, God the Son, was with God the Father. And the Word, God the Son, was God. Co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal, the same in essence as God the Father. 100% God. John 1, 2. He, the Lord, God the Son, existed in the beginning with God the Father. The beginning, not a beginning. John chapter 1, verse 3. All things came into being through him, through the Lord God the Son. And apart from him as the creator, nothing came into being that has come into being, including you. John chapter 1, verse 14 describes what makes him the uniquely born one. And the word, the Lord God the Son, became flesh, taking on the form of a human being as Jesus the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And he lived for a while among us, for 33 years, the age of the hypostatic union. And we, and this is John referencing himself and the apostles, saw his glory with our own eyes, the glory of the only begotten one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ, he is 100% God and 100% man in one person forever, the uniquely born one. And at Barah Ministries, we know that our eternal future is based on a single decision each of us makes about him. You can choose to be in a relationship with him or you can choose to reject a relationship with him. And that determines your eternal future. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of Christians as well, those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of His Word. 
Why do we study the Word of God? The Apostle Peter tells us why. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, here's what he has to say. Beloved, and Peter was always very affectionate in his messages to Christians. Beloved, a reference to believers in Christ, the divinely loved ones. Be on your guard. What he's saying here is, don't say I didn't warn you, so that all of you Christians are not led astray by the error of unprincipled men, false teachers, so as to fall from your steadfastness, which is the secure position we have as victors through Christ. We have positional sanctification. We are placed in union with Christ at the moment of salvation. But we can just walk away from that, the, the magnificence of that position by engaging in satanic activity, by, by engaging in self-focus. And so that's what Peter is warning us against here. We study the Bible so that we are not tricked by false teachers. So what are we to do? 2 Peter 3.18, instead of being led astray by unprincipled teachers, we are to keep on growing in the sphere of grace, the geodesic dome of grace that surrounds us. And we are to keep on growing in the knowledge of the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, we study scripture to get to know our Lord. But God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He'll be dethroned at a future time. Now we say this every week. And, you know, we hear these words, and we don't think it really applies to us. But now here in the Barah Ministries leadership team, we've got satanic infiltration where self is showing up. See, and we don't think that this really happens. It happens all the time. It happens all the time, and now it's happening to us. Satan sponsors the sin of legalism, among other sins. He, he, he sponsors every sin, as a matter of fact. He encourages people to put themselves above others because of the things they do. The triclinium believers of the first century church at Corinth, for example, were elitist believers who proclaimed themselves to be better than everyone else. They committed the same sin as the older brother in the prodigal son's story, who in self-righteousness flaunted how good he is compared to his brother for what he called engaging in loose living. That's the funny thing about human beings. They can always see their point of view, but they can never see anybody else's point of view. So it's the same goof that we make when we let men interpret scripture and we believe the interpretation of what men are saying about scripture instead of getting at what is God saying in scripture what's he saying from his point of view he's the one who wrote it he used men to write it but it's his thoughts what is he saying and you can always notice that the thing that has always baffled me in my lifetime about relationships that have gone sour is how a person can see their point of view, but refuses to see that in a relationship, there are two points of view. There's not one point of view. There are two points of view. And, and both people's point of view needs to be heard. And 
whenever I've been in conflict with people, they have an amazing ability to talk over me as if my, my opinion doesn't matter. Well, it does. And if they were successful at talking over me, which I don't let them be, do they think that I don't still have an opinion after they go away, after they bullied me into saying nothing? Do they think I don't have an opinion? I do, actually. And this is Christians. This is Christians doing this. People who profess to want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with God. And let me just tell you, this, this lesson is not going to be pleasant for you if you don't like the truth. Okay? So just let me get that straight. But I, want, I also want you to know something else about me. I don't think it's my job as a pastor or as a person to coerce you or to coerce your will in any way. And I can, because I'm charming. I can get you to do anything I want you to do, because I'm charming. I can charm you into doing it. And I don't do that in the Christian way of living, because God doesn't do it. Because he's charming too. He actually has all the power. He actually didn't have to let Satan have a fair shot at proving his case. He could have just said, hey, I'm God, you're not, you sinned, I warned you, you're out. And then we wouldn't even be here. So I don't feel any need to coerce you. So if you feel coerced, I'm not coercing you. You do whatever you want to do. But I'm going to tell you the truth. That's the one thing you can count on from me. Because I spent enough time lying from the pulpit. I spent enough time following men and their stupid viewpoint about God from the pulpit. Fifty years. Fifty years of, of, of my Christianity has been spent in religions that were completely wrong, that deceived billions of people. And I'm done with it. So you can count on it that I'm going to work my butt off to make sure that the things that are coming out of my mouth through God the Holy Spirit are the truth. And there were things that I wanted to put in this lesson that the Holy Spirit did not want to put in this lesson. So they didn't get in the lesson. Because when I went to type it, it wouldn't come off my fingers. So I am not about coercing you. But it's just funny to me how... Self-righteousness can infect Christians and take us completely off base for what we say that we're all about. So, the older brother in the prodigal son story, that, that story shouldn't even be called the prodigal son. It's the father that was at, in, in focus in that story because he had two kids. One was lascivious into immorality. One was legalistic into morality, and the worst of the two was the moral one. That's why I like hanging out with the moral people. They're fun. They're not uptight. But the moral ones, who think they're all that, aren't. And both of those poles are self. They're selfish. So judging his brother which is what the older one did, is a much worse sin in God's eyes, the sin of pride, which was Satan's original sin. Satan 
readily sucks us into the sins of pseudo-morality, and we act as if there's nothing wrong with it. My advice to you is don't be fooled. Today's Bible lesson, Christians gravitate to false teachers and repel teachers of the truth. We are Velcro to teachers who are teaching lies, and we are Teflon to teachers who are teaching the truth. False teachers, with their false teaching, liars, with their lies, Christians gravitate to these men as if they are magnets. I studied with a couple of them under systematic theology, and when I broke away from systematic theology, man, if you say anything against those teachers, you're talking against a deity. Because what they say is God's word. It's bigger than, their doctrines are bigger than God's doctrine. Their doctrines are bigger than Christ. False teachers succeed because they teach us what we want to believe. And what we want to believe is pseudo-Christianity. It's Christianity with our own little viewpoint mixed into it about what's okay. That's what we like doing. They don't teach us the truth that we need to know because the truth that we need to know might be offensive and people might take their money away if you offend them. I don't give a damn because if God doesn't provide the money for this ministry, it should be closed. That's the truth. And I have a lot of ways I can express my spiritual gift. I can sit at my desk every week and write books and sell them for a lot of money because garbage is getting sold for a lot of money. There's one pastor who every time he thinks about writing a book, he gets a $3 million advance to write the book. And then he comes out with this book, this absolute garbage, talking about prosperity and how God wants us to be prosperous. Why, if God wants us to be prosperous, why are there so many pofo? Why is that? You know why it is? Mentality. Because if, if God gave everybody $5 million, he, if he took all the wealth in the world and divided it equally between people, it would be back in the same pockets in a month. Mentality. But these are the teachers that the world loves, gives $3 million advances to write phony books, and we're buying them at record numbers. That's the only reason they get the advances, because the books get bought. Yet God teaches about himself in the most minute of places. He teaches us about himself through magnets. All magnets have north and south poles. Opposite poles are attracted to each other, so if you have two magnets, the opposite poles will be attracted to each other. But if you turn one of the magnets over and put it, they'll repel each other. They won't stick together. It's the same with Christians. Christians are attracted to lies. The opposite of what we ought to do. And Christians repel the truth. We're just like magnets. Only we've got our wires crossed. As Christians, we are in the light. John makes this clear in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Here's what he says. He says, this is the message we, and he's referring to John and the other apostles, have heard directly from him, 
the incarnate Lord, Jesus the Christ, and announce to you that God the Father is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if, and this is a third class condition, if in the Greek, if meaning maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice, if volitional. If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. That's the case for many Christians. We do say we're in the light. We profess to be Christians. We have a relationship with Christ, yet we spend most of our time in the darkness. We enjoy it. 1 John 1.7 But if, again, third class condition, if maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we, and that's a reference to God and Christians, have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. In my lifetime, I have seen, I have participated in, and I continue to see believers in Christ deifying false teachers and their false teaching while simultaneously rejecting true teaching. I am one of the systematic theology students who went off the rails. And a lot of the people that I was in that discipline with are still believing the same crap. You know, I I can think of one ministry in particular where they, they decided after we announced the rebound was a bunch of crap, this idea that when you sin, you're out of fellowship with God, and then when you confess the sin, you're back in fellowship with God. I went out and taught it. Pastor Farley taught it. And then another teacher taught it. But now he's teaching lordship salvation and legalism. So it's just kind of funny how we kind of reject one lousy thing and then move right into another lousy thing. That's what I always watch when people leave Barah Ministries. Okay, you left Barah Ministries, that's your prerogative. Where'd you go? What are you learning now? And a lot of, them go, a lot of the people who've left here go to mega churches to hide so they can sit in the back and they can make the quick exit out the back, but they aren't learning anything. Most of those places, I've gone to those places and I just sit, start a stopwatch and see how long it takes to get to a Bible verse, usually 45 minutes of an hour-long service. Everything is going on but the Bible verse. Teaching nothing about what God has to say, but teaching some topical thing that couldn't help you in a million years. That's what we put up with as Christians. So in my lifetime, I've seen... I've participated in, and I continue to see believers in Christ deifying false teachers, rejecting true teaching, and true teachers. Why? Who really cares why? I didn't go to school for eight years for psychology, so I don't know the complex psychological makeup of human beings. I don't know why. It's the worst question we ask ourselves. Would knowing why make it okay? We know why. Because the Bible tells us why, and the Bible tells us what to do about it. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9, the Lord says of the unbelieving religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, he said, you hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Somebody who's talking from behind a mask, a phony. You hypocrites. Rightly. 
did Isaiah prophesy about you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Matthew 15, 9. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That's what false teachers and their false teaching do. They teach as Christian doctrine the precepts of men. Stuff that men make up. If you sin after you become a Christian, it's probably because you had a head belief, not a heart belief. Okay, excellent. Show me that in here. Oh, I invited Christ into my heart. Okay, show me where that is in here. Because I, I don't think it says that in here. I think it says in Acts 16.31, believe. Or am I reading it wrong? Does it say, invite Christ into your heart and you will be saved? Is that what it says? I don't think it does. But we always, Satan's, Satan's brilliant. Just twisted. How do you get to heaven? Well, you just invite Christ into your heart. When you're spiritually dead... You're inviting Christ into anything is you inviting him into a garbage dump. But we buy it. We buy it. Gullible. To me, Christianity's not a joke. To me, Christianity isn't just something we talk about. It's important. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. The Lord was talking about unbelievers here, but the same can be said of Christians who gravitate to lies. The why Christians gravitate to false teachers and false teaching is because Christians are often hypocrites. The what to do about it is to stop worshiping the Lord with our talk and to start worshiping Him with our walk. In today's lesson, we'll begin our verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Colossians, a letter designed to address Christians gravitating to false teachers while repelling true teachers and true teaching, a letter designed to correct error, and as we do every month, We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, and in today's Lord's Supper lesson, we'll learn that at the cross, the Lord taught us to pray. So let's hear some music. Even when we are unfaithful, the Lord remains faithful to us. He is always looking to reassure his believers. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously walk about. Look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with the righteousness of my right hand. So we can believe Sarah Reeves when she says to God, You've got me right where you want me.
I like that song. Yeah, you don't have to say anything. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for exposing our conduct, bringing it to light. And thank you for indicting our leadership. Thank you for being intolerant of one ounce of sin in our lives. Thank you for giving us imperfect teachers who are not afraid to teach the truth and who are not afraid of exposing the times when they fall short of your standards. Help us to learn about you through the truth-tellers you send to us. Help us to be attracted to your word. Help us to repel lies and false teachers. Give us the strength to allow you to remove impure and accurate thoughts from our lives. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. I didn't hear you. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Christians gravitate to false teachers and repel teachers of truth. Christians gravitate to false teachers and repel teachers of truth. Christians are probably the number one reason why unbelievers reject Christianity. When unbelievers see us snuggling up to falsehood, They feel totally comfortable doing the same thing. How often have you as a Christian been called a hypocrite? Somebody who's talking from behind a mask. And when you were called a hypocrite, did you admit it? Did you say, you're right. I am a hypocrite and that's why I need a savior. Yeah. I was at a client one time and I said a swear word. Oh, that's that's my big thing. I say swear words. What kind of pastor are you? One that's not full of shit. But you're not used to those kind of pastors because you don't like those kind of pastors because you like putting pastors up on a pedestal so that you can tear them down when you find out that they're human beings. It's the same thing that happens in marriage. Two people get married and they think they're not marrying a human being. Then one of them uh, commits an act of betrayal and it's time to leave. You knew it was coming. Why Why didn't you just not get married? You knew it was coming. What are you, stupid? You can't read statistics? You don't know that six and ten first marriages end in divorce? You don't know that if I walked in a marriage ceremony and I said, y'all ain't going to make it, I'd be 60% right? You don't know? And if they're getting married the seven, second time, I'd say I'd be seven out of ten, right? You don't know that? And if it was the third time, it'd be eight out of ten, right? God bless the, the people who aren't quitters, Amen. <laughs> You don't know that? But are we preparing the people that we love who are about to get married for that reality? Or are we playing Disneyland? Are we running around putting together a a wedding ceremony and pretending that the bride is the princess and the, the, the groom is the handsome prince and we dress all up and we spend fifty dollars to $100,000 for a destination wedding and it's beautiful because when it ends, at least you had that. But do we ever talk to people who've been married for 58 years and learn what the nitty-gritty is of that 58 years? Do we ever sit down and ask them, tell me about the journey? Tell, I'm about to get married, tell me what exactly I'm going to be going through? Mm-mm. And if, if you, you know, I'm twice divorced, ooh, how can you be a pastor when you're twice divorced? I don't know. I don't know, I guess because people come. Other than that, I don't know. 
Because, you know, when you sin, you should go to hell. You should go right to hell, right? When you, get, when you find out, when anybody finds out that you've got anything human and you're a teacher, you should go right to hell, right? That's what we think as Christians. It's kind of funny. That's what I thought before I got divorced the first time. People would come and talk to me and they'd say, hey, I'm getting a divorce. And I'd say, oh, man, that's really tough. But in my mind, I was thinking, there's something defective in you that's not defective in me. Even though I knew I had a phony marriage. That's Christians. So, why don't unbelievers gravitate to Christianity? Because of Christians. Because they see our hypocrisy and they say, hey, I'm already a hypocrite. Why should I change? What's the benefit of changing? What parts of your life reflect Satan's world system? That's a question for reflection. What parts of your life make people move away from Christianity? Yeah, and now, now you, can, you can point you can point, you can see really clearly when you're pointing at everybody else, but are you seeing the three fingers that are pointing back at you? Are you seeing where self shows up for you? As we begin the study of Paul's letter to the Colossians, we'll notice that Paul is addressing a problem, false teachers and their false teaching. And he does a funny thing here. In chapter 1, he talks about the answer. In chapter 2, he talks about the problem. The answer is Christ. The, anything that's ailing the Barah Ministries leaders has to do with Christ and where you see Christ in your life. And if you want to be in the circle with Christ, So, Colossians chapter 2 is where the problem is highlighted. Let's look at a few of the verses that highlight the problem, like verse 4. I, Paul, say these things so that no one, such as a false teacher, will delude you with a persuasive argument. False teaching and false teachers are persuasive. As a matter of fact, when I stopped teaching rebound, a lady called me when I said rebound was a bunch of crap. A lady called me and she said, I am so shocked. And I said, why? She said, because I never understood rebound so well as when the way you taught it, with all your charts and graphs. It was so clear. Yeah, sure was. Lies can be really clear, huh? And teachers can be really persuasive, huh? Even when they're wrong, huh? Yeah, but did you do what the Bereans did? See, she's, she's passing the responsibility off on to me. But did she do what the Bereans did? <coughs> we have it in our newsletter every week, Acts 17, 11. The Berean believers were more noble than the Thessalonican believers. Why? Because they heard what Paul said with eagerness and then went right to the Bible to check to see if it was so. Right to Scripture. You doing that? Or are you just counting on me?
Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord through the simplicity and purity of the gospel message, faith alone in Christ for salvation, so walk in him. Live a simple, pure, devoted lifestyle. Do you think that God would give you a simple way to be saved and a complicated way to be a Christian? No. Being a Christian is so simple. Don't sin. Be unified. He places us into unity, and he says, stay in there. Is that what we do? No, we break away, because we think we're better on our own. Who, who sponsors that thought in us? Who sponsors the self-thought in us? Because you, you've just experienced it for two years. You have been socially distanced. How, how's that working out for you? The worst thing that has ever happened to mankind is that they have taken the mask ban off and that we're going back to quote-unquote normal because now we get to see what two years of social retardation is like because people are out of practice caring about anybody else. Cutting, you know, people driving up on you from the back, like, could you just back off? They're speeding around you, and then when you get to the light, they're sitting right next to you. What did you just do? You didn't do anything. They're just, they, they don't have any sense for sharing the road. Christians. This is what we think Christianity is. Coming here every week, hearing a bunch of words, and then going right back out there and living a world life. That's not what this is. That's what Paul is talking about here. The Christian way of life is really simple. It's not complicated, and it doesn't have 900 things all bunched into one thing. You know, uh, you know Deacon Denny, you know, he's got, he got a job, a side job, a wife, two kids, a house in the suburbs. <laughs> you know, I had that. But I asked myself a really simple question. All right, I got these two kids. If I could just get one thing across to them, what would it be? In the 21 years that I'm going to have them under my jurisdiction, if I could just get one thing across to them, what would that one thing be? Christ. And I did my job. And I may have two divorces under my belt, but both of my wives are Christians. That's why we're divorced. Right? We really counted on that Christianity. But they're going to be in heaven. Nowhere near my neighborhood, but in heaven. Amen? I even take June into my neighborhood before I take one of them. Don't come nowhere near me. And all the kids that were under my charge, my stepdaughter, my two sons, Christians. You know why? Because I wasn't going to allow anything else. That's why. Because I was committed to it. And if they didn't like it, or if they were faking it, that's fine. That's their choice. But they were getting it shoved down their throat. Because I was one of the best coercive fathers in the world. Come on. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Zachary. Thank you. <laughs> Colossians 2, 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge 
in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. All the things that people are recommending that you got to do if you want to be spiritual. you got to keep the Sabbath day. What's the Sabbath day? Every day. Seven-day Adventists say it's Saturday. It never changed. Yeah, it never changed, and you missed the cross. If you think it didn't change, you missed the cross. My Jewish friends who are holy and Jewish... Their Sabbath is Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. Still observing it. They missed the cross. They missed Christ. He came. Their Messiah came. Colossians 2.18. Let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize. What is that? The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The freedom of the resurrection life by delighting in self-abasement, asceticism, and the worship of angels, astrology, taking his stand on visions he has seen, stuff they make up in their head because God does not communicate with church-age believers in visions, inflated without cause, arrogance in their fleshly mind. Whenever a believer in Christ is being selfish, the flesh is dominating. The flesh is guiding that believer, not Christ. It's the flesh. Colossians 2.20 If all you believers in Christ have died with Christ to the sovereignty of sin, and of course you have, as a first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true. If you have died to the elementary principles of the world and its rules, and you have, because once you're placed into union with Christ, you're under his rules, and under his jurisdiction, not under sin's rules, and not under the world's jurisdiction. Why? (laughs) As if you were part of the world, which you aren't, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Why do you submit yourselves to decrees? Why? Why do you think fasting is spiritual? Why? I was in a men's group. Every, every time we met, we had to talk, hear about the, next, the fast. I'm going on another fast. I'm not going on another fast. Yeah, well, tell me this, Faster. Tell me, tell me the three verses that you would tell somebody if you wanted to give them the gospel message. Uh, 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 uh. Acts 16.31, John 3.36, John 14.6. They ought to come off of your tongue like saliva comes off your tongue. Oh, well, see, Pastor, I don't have a very good memory. Really? When's the last time you tested it? Well, I haven't tested it. Well, come over here. I have an electrode, and I know exactly where to insert it so that we can test your memory. Phony. Phony Christians. False teachers captivate us with their false teaching. But there's only one way that their deception can work. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. There's only one way that their deception can work when we allow it, when we embrace it, when we choose it, when we gravitate toward it, 
while simultaneously repelling the truth. And we do. Why? We want to believe liars and their lies. What do we believers in Christ want to believe? Why, why is it that we don't believe God? We want to believe that God is conditional in His love. He loves us when we're good, and He hates us when we're bad. We want to believe this because we're that way. And so what we do is project the way we are onto God. He's not that way. He, unconditional love is a one-way love that requires nothing of you. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And he doesn't require anything from you in return. We don't believe that. No, not as Christians, we don't. We believe he's conditional. We want to believe that God is unforgiving. Why? Because we're that way. We want to believe he's a punishing God so that we can support our thought that he's unforgiving. He is not a punishing God. You know what the punishment is that Christians get? Sin, when you do it to yourself, and then you don't own it. What do we want to believe? We want to believe that God is disappointed with us when we make mistakes, because we're that way. Because we're that way with ourselves, and we're that way with others. Well, I just can't believe that you would do something like that. I just can't believe it. Why? Why? Every week you come in here and you hear the verses. The, the right lobe of man is desperately sick. Who can even comprehend it? You hear it every week. Don't you believe what God is saying to you? We're like a vapor that appears for a little while in the sky and then disappears. Jesus wasn't putting his confidence in men. Know no man according to the flesh. In other words, don't pay any attention to the flesh that's in human beings. I left it there for a reason, so that they could see that they weren't all that. To torture them. But we can't believe what God is saying, because we want to believe what we want to believe. We want to take that pretty little green box that I showed you a couple weeks ago, and we want to put all that little Satan stuff in it. We're going to mix it in there so we're comfortable. It doesn't need any additions from us. It doesn't need any subtractions from us. It just needs us to do that. That's significant enough. And see, we live with people who are religious. And you know what we do? We let them mute us. We let them mute us. We let them shove their Roman Catholicism down our throats. And we try to appease them. Going to church with them. Saying, yeah, you know, there are a lot of ways to worship God. But we don't ever get back in their face and give them the ultimate gift. And the ultimate gift is, hey, you were created by somebody. Worship them. And if all the other stuff that you think is important on a Sunday is, is, is so important that you don't have any time to worship him, what's up with you? We don't want to do that because we don't want to be unpopular in our house. But I just got to ask you this. Now, I've been teaching Barah Ministries for, what, 22 years? Since 1999? Is that 22 years? Yeah. 
Can you, and, and the first 10 years at least, I don't know, it was out of the house. Can you imagine that I would be in the little room teaching Bible study and the two kids that I started the Bible study for would be back in their room playing video games? Can you imagine that I would allow that? Answer me. No, I wouldn't. I would not allow that. If you're living in my house and I'm teaching the word, you're listening to it. I don't, I don't care whether you like it or not, because I'm not trying to be your friend. And if you don't like me, it's par for the course. I expect that, because how many people actually like their parents? I'm one of the weird people. Oh, isn't that sweet? Zachary raised his hand. I'm one of the strange people who actually liked my mom. But most people don't like their parents. It's really funny. Don't like them. Don't get along with them. So I expect it. We want to believe that when a Christian is off the rails, that they will come around as if everyone comes around. Some people don't come around. We don't want to believe that some people don't come around. I'm convinced that God places people in our lives who won't ever come around to teach us about Satan and the fallen angels who don't ever come around. We certainly don't want to believe that our parents will never come around or our kids will never come around. Or our friends will never come around. Why? Because we love Disney. We love Aesop. And they lived happily ever after. We want to believe that. That's not what the Bible says. They lived happily ever after did not come out of the Bible. When you get married, it doesn't say you will live happily ever after. It says... Marriage is a battleground. I have a couple that I'm, I'm consulting with, and the wife said, I don't want to believe that. Okay, don't. Don't. You've been going for the last year. Your marriage has been getting decimated by Satan because it is a union, and you don't want to look at what you actually saw occur? Okay. Okay, I'm not here to take you by the back of the neck and shove your face down in the reality of your situation? Because if I do that, all you'll do is blame me. That'll let you off the hook. and you'll, You won't have to look at you. So you'll have somebody to point to, and you'll say, well, he said. I counseled one couple who was getting married, and I started telling them about what the sexual relationship was like in marriage and of course before they got married they thought well he was telling he was giving us the okay for sex right and so they got pregnant okay and then oh well you were the one that's what they said to me okay all right let's go back to romper room school right you don't have volition these are christians We want to believe, we don't want to believe the reality that some Christians go off the rails and stay off the rails. And when you're off the rails, 
it's easier to stay off the rail. We want to believe that everyone is going to heaven. Everyone isn't. The Bible's clear on that. We want to believe that we can help God save us with good deeds. It's impossible. We want to believe that we can lose our salvation. Impossible. I can't tell you how many Christians I have looked in the face and asked them point blank, can you lose your salvation? And they say, yes, yes you can. And I say, no, you can't. And I give them the Bible verses and they say, I don't believe that. Well, no big deal because you don't believe anything that's in the Bible. Because you got your own Bible. You got pastor so-and-so who's giving you everything, spoon-feeding you lies, and you're gulping it down like you're desperate. Okay. We want to believe that there is no need to concern ourselves with learning what our spiritual gift is. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say that again. We want to believe that there's no need to concern ourselves with learning what our spiritual gift is, and then there's no need to use it. Because if you don't know what it is, you can't use it. And that's why Christians are a swim team. We add up the individual scores. We're not a football team, at least in our mind. But see, here's what happens. If one of you drops the ball of something that you're doing here, I get creamed. I'm the quarterback. I get creamed. When somebody goes off the rails in Barah Ministries, I pay for it. I get hurt. And you don't see the tears that wet my pillow. Because I don't tell you about that. You don't know how deeply I care for each and every one of you. You couldn't even imagine it if I tried to put it in a book and explain it to you. You couldn't even imagine it. But if you want to imagine it, go ask a guy who watches me. Go ask Zach, who hears me talk about my intimate feelings. Go ask him. You want to know about you specifically? Go ask him. This isn't a game to me. I don't come up here to entertain you every week. I come up here to equip you for a war that you go out into every week. This is not a game. In short, we want to create our own version of Christianity. We want to add in things that make us look good. A friend asked me recently, aren't we supposed to act like Christians? (laughs) Yeah, we're supposed to do that, but do we? Absolutely not. And unbelievers are watching. The things we learn in the Bible apply to us. Let me ask you this. Pastor John Farley has a son named Jack. Now, if you've been here long enough, you've met Jack. Do you you guys remember Jack at all? All right, some of you do. You know, Vita, you haven't been here long enough. I, I don't think you've been here two years, but he was here two years ago or three years ago, maybe. Can you imagine that... Jack would call me and tell me that he was getting married and tell me that he was marrying an unbeliever. Can you imagine that he would call me and say that and I would say nothing to him? 
No, you can't imagine that. No, you can't imagine that. Because you know I wouldn't do it. The first thing I asked Hannah when she told me that she wanted to get married is, is I said, is the guy a believer? I didn't have to ask her, though. That's his daughter. That's Pastor Farley's daughter. I didn't have to ask her. Hannah ain't going to marry an unbeliever. But when my son goes off the rails and treats me like shit for seven years, how many of you have called him up and said, what's wrong with you? A couple of you have. But the rest of you, you know, oh, he'll come around. Is that, is that unity? Is that what unity's like? It's not. We got kids who ought to be here. They don't like being here, but they ought to be here. Kids don't like good medicine all the time. You think I care whether my kids liked coming or not? I didn't. They happened to. But I didn't care if they liked it or not. It was my job to do it. The things that we learn in the Bible apply to us. We are not sitting as passive spectators saying, ain't it awful when we see the conduct of the Corinthians? Man sleeping with his father's wife. And when we see the Colossians and how easily they slip into the elementary principles of the world and its lifestyle. We're not looking at them and saying, mm, 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 it's too bad for them, but that doesn't happen to us. We are to use the teaching as a mirror to illuminate our own conduct. Can you imagine that I was evangelizing to my mother and my mother told me to stop evangelizing to her? Do you think I would stop? There's no way. My mom was not going to bully me into not giving her the gospel message. I don't care how many times she rejected it, and I don't care how many times she rejected me. I was going to give it to her. Because I want her in heaven. And I don't care what her opinion is about it. She's got to make the choice. I can't drag her over the line. If I could, I would. I'd beat her up and drag her over the line. But I'm not going to stop evangelizing to her because she bullied me with her Roman Catholicism or her Baptist or her, what pastor so-and-so told her when she was 12. I never stopped evangelizing to her. Now, I've never stopped evangelizing to my kids. They, used to, they actually would say, Dad, we're Christians. Why do you keep telling us that? Because I want to be sure. And I don't really care what your opinion is about it. But there are Christians right here in Barah Ministries who see people that they're related to marrying unbelievers, who have people who are rejecting the gospel message, and we just stop, we just back off. Because we don't want to create discomfort. I sure am glad Jesus didn't have that philosophy when he went to the cross. I'm sure I'm, sure I'm glad he didn't say to his dad, you know what, dad, I, I, I wouldn't mind, 
you know, paying for the sins of the world. But do I have to do it on the cross? Because that's kind of uncomfortable. And he actually did ask for another way. He said, you know what, is there's any way to take this cup away from me? Which meant a separation from you for a period of time, Father, to, to pay for the sins of the world. If there's any way you could take that away, that would be cool, but not my will, but your will be done. No self. No self in Jesus. He did that for you. Because if he makes another choice, you don't get saved. We're human, but we gravitate to those who teach us that our despicable conduct is perfectly okay because we're only human. It is not okay. We are humans who are indwelled by the omnipotent Trinity. We're not just humans. We are humans indwelled by the omnipotent Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who have all the power. At a point, that has to mean something to you. Does it? Does that mean anything to you? I'm asking. Answer me. Okay, so, so, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. So, I'm sorry it sounds like I'm coming down on you, because I don't want to come down on you. But I also don't want you to play Christian. This is serious. And Satan's good. I hope we get to meet him one day. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wear a hat, and I tip my hat. I'm going to tip my hat. You're amazing. Too bad you made the wrong choice. Because it'd be great to have you on this team. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper celebration. Take a five-minute break. Probably need ten, but take five. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. My life, I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. When Moses had stage fright, and David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Christians gravitate to false teachers and repel teachers of truth. Well, legendary basketball coach John Wooden once said, you can't have a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Our God does this every second of every day. As believers in Christ, we must reflect His grace. When you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for people all over the world who can't afford to contribute to get the spiritual food that feeds the spiritual life free of charge. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. You got me? There you go. Good morning. My name is Deacon Denny, or Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And this last week, I kind of had my another epiphany via my children, and you know them getting older and growing up, and just seeing seeing through their eyes, and you know they're they're so innocent and they're kind, and they're nice, and they're honest. And it's one of those things where the world is not. And it's, it's really easy for parents to not wake up your children to that reality. And, you know, it's, it's easy to just think, you know, let them grow up. Pastor knew what to do with his kids. He got them Christ first. But I'm sure he trained them how to talk to people, how to be with people, and just to know that life is not a game. There's a lot of people out there that do not have your best interest in mind. There's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, they don't know that not everybody's going to heaven. And those are some realities that I don't think people have waken up to as children. And, you know, I think that happens in, as kids, but then it also happens in families, you know, and it happens in marriage. And you think about it, we're not told that marriage is, is very hard. It's very difficult. It just seems like a fairy tale, you know. And then families, it's always, oh, it's family, have kids, it's great, but it's, it's tough. They beat you up. It's all sacrifice. Moms know how it is. It's all sacrifice. And I think it's real easy for Christians to fall on that same line, just like children. We're innocent. We're kind. And we can never think of the devious nature of Satan and in this world. We're not murderers, so you can't see through the eyes of a murderer. You don't know how bad they could be or how, how bad they could hurt you and how, how little they care about us or anybody. And so I think it's really easy, you know, for kids to roll in emotion and families to lose communication. And then marriages, they become misinterpreted between all that mess, the emotion and miscommunication. There's no agreements and there's no there's no realization that life. Life is Satan surrounding us and Satan infiltrating us everywhere all the time. And I think we need to wake up to that. I do. I think everybody does, especially children. You know, it's like people telling children that sex is bad. Then they have sex for the first time, and it's amazing. And they don't trust you anymore. You know, we need to be real with children, with us, with Christians. And that's why I truly appreciate Pastor telling us the truth. You know, not worrying about our feelings or his feelings or seeing our reactions to things. It's really an amazing characteristic of him. But, you know, I was looking in the Bible, and you see it, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 
Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, to devour. They're looking, he's looking for the weak. He's looking for the slow. He's looking for the one to infiltrate. There's always one. And that's not a bad thing, but that's something we need to be aware of. And we're, I think we're lucky that he's roaring because you hear a roaring lion. If you've ever seen a, seen a lion or a cheetah sneak up behind something in the wild, they can be right behind them, and you have no idea. You know how close you are to death. And I think we all need to wake up to that, you know, and especially our children. They, they need to know that there's some bad people out there. And they don't need to be scared, but they need to know that they need to protect themselves. And that's why Barah Ministries is so important, because we're here to equip you to defend yourself against Satan and to see it and to reveal it, reveal the walls that we put up against people, reveal the barriers that we do to, to not allow ourselves to communicate and come to agreements with people. We just don't put forth the effort. And it seems like one of those things where, oh, we're just being nice, but really we're bringing Satan into our lives doing this. It's like the, the vampire movie where you've got to invite the vampire in before he can come in. We invite Satan in our lives with the way we act and the way we don't stand in Christianity. And so that's why I'm, I, love it, I love that at the offering you guys give of your time, your talent, and your treasure because it truly is worship of God and how he gives to us and gives us so much to equip others. And that's why we're here is to bring others to Christ, whosoever, good people, bad people, everybody. So let's just be aware that the devil is prowling for all of us, easy pickings, and that we let our guard down far too often. And so I think... Let's help others put their guard up by giving it the offering. So thank you. Have you been praying and you still have no answers? Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all the faith you have through so many tears? Don't forget the things that he has done before. And remember he can do it all once more. It's like the
Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, which is the most intimate expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way to keep on sharing his body and his blood with us, just as he did with his apostles on the night before his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come and his crucifixion was near, the Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table, and the apostles reclined with him. And the Lord said to the apostles, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you that I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the apostle Paul says on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread representing his body, And as often as you drink the cup representing his blood as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. So during the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look back to the cross for a moment. He wants us to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and delivered us into the kingdom of light. He wants us to remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins. He wants us to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into that kingdom of light. And most of all, the Lord wants his believers to look forward with anticipation that he is coming again. As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? Well, at the, at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ taught us how to pray. The first thing that Jesus Christ said as he hung from the cross was a prayer, detailed in Luke chapter 23, verse 24. He said, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. And he was referring to the ones crucifying him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This is such an interesting prayer. People who don't know what they're doing are innocent. And the innocent don't need forgiveness. So by saying the perpetrators of his crucifixion needed forgiveness, the Lord also was declaring that they were guilty. What were they guilty of? They were guilty of ignoring the evidence. The Lord Jesus Christ made it absolutely clear that he is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. My mom used to say, none are so blind as those who refuse to see. Her comment was a takeoff from Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, which says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, speak to unbelievers in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand, nor do unbelievers want to understand. Those who ignore the evidence don't want to know the Lord. That's something you really have to get into your head. Those who ignore the evidence don't really want to know the Lord. Yet, in the world, we are always giving allowances to people who ignore the evidence about the Lord. 
And we say, well, yeah, but what if they didn't know? They knew. You know, what would it mean if, if one of our family members who was rejecting Christ really genuinely knew? What would it mean? Well, for us, it means they're going to the lake of fire. It bothers us deeply. It ought to bother you. It should bother you. You don't want your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife to go to the lake of fire. That ought to bother you. If you're a Christian and you have relatives who aren't taking in the word, that ought to bother you. That shouldn't be something you become comfortable with. Amen? Not comfortable with it. The Old Testament gave clear direction to the Jews concerning how they would be able to recognize Messiah. What were they to look for? The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would fulfill all the prophecies revealed about him in the Old Testament, especially the doing of signs and wonders. Well, the Jews saw the evidence and then made a decision about Jesus the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. They decided that he was from Satan and not from God. Mark chapter 3, verse 22 to 24 say this, The scribes, who were teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, who is a demon. And he casts out demons by means of a power alliance with the ruler of the demons, Satan. Mark 3.23 And Jesus called the scribes to himself and began speaking to them in parables, asking, How can Satan cast out Satan? In other words, the Lord is saying that Satan would be stupid to act against himself or his emissaries. The Lord continues, Mark chapter 3, verse 24, If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. When an unbeliever seals his own fate with the decision to reject a relationship with the Lord, the Lord's only choice is to pray for him. The Lord is not willing to coerce our will. So while accusing the perpetrators of their guilt, the Lord simultaneously forgives them. Luke chapter 23, verse 24. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Unbelievers who die having rejected a relationship with Christ will meet the Lord face to face, and the Lord will not bring up their sins. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our transgressions from us. He did that for everyone. He did that for whosoever. Psalm 86, verse 5. You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and you are abundant in loving kindness. That's the Old Testament word for grace. You are abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. I guarantee we are not similar to the Lord in, in, in that way or in any way. We don't forgive. We would not forgive our perpetrators. We're always bringing up the sins of others. But through the unconditional love of God, which the Holy Spirit pours into us through the fruit of the Spirit, we can reflect God's unconditional love and forgiveness and grace to others. And we must. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. Through the unconditional love of God, 
which the Holy Spirit keeps on pouring into us through the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We can reflect God's unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. And we must do that. Let's enjoy the elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember Him. And we will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. So obeying God's command, we keep on celebrating Christ and His cross regularly. We eat to remember who He is as a person, and we drink to remember His work on the cross. The voluntary sacrifice He made on our behalf as our sin sacrifice. He volunteered to die so that you wouldn't have to. We are grateful for what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done for us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is being broken for you. And when he had taken a cup and give thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, a new testament. Blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of their sins. As you enjoy the bread and the cup, enjoy the memory of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ as well. Now and always, let's keep on giving thanks that we are loved unconditionally and accepted fully by a Lord who is always there for us, the one on whom we can depend. And let's keep on being transformed by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his word. And let's enjoy his unconditional love, his forgiveness, and his grace. So, the Lord's Supper song, what do we learn from Christ's work at the cross? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, we learn that we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God the Father. Our power comes from God's power in us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, his divine power, one of my favorite Greek words, dunamis, dunamis sphaia, the sphere of power. His divine power has granted to us believers in Christ everything pertaining to life. That's the Greek word zoe, another one of my favorite words, the resurrection life, eternal life. And godliness, another of my favorite Greek words, eusebia, the Christian way of living, a specific manner of life through the true knowledge of Jesus who called us by his own glory and excellence. So Psalm 46.10 says, Cease striving and know that I am God. We trust our God to do all things for us. Here is unspoken to sing what we believers know to be true. Just give me Jesus. Every door. 
closing moments of our study today are for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you have a chance to be precious in God's sight. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones, his saints his believers in Christ. The fact that God wants you is a great thing to know as you get older because there will be a day when it is apparent to you that no one gets out of this life alive. 
What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? God has an enemy, Satan, who is the ruler of this world, and he has distorted Christianity by creating counterfeits to Christianity, religions designed to mislead you into thinking that you're saved when you might not be. Roman Catholicism is one of those counterfeits. Here is an example from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, moved by the Holy Spirit. This is paragraph 210. You can look it up yourself. It says, moved by the Holy Spirit and charity. We can merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification. What it's saying is that we can earn our salvation. <laughs> we can earn our salvation. Vita, Vita said, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, uh-uh. says we can earn our own salvation, and that, that we can pray for the dead and help them earn salvation. No. No, we can't. And all of the people that are in our lives that are Roman Catholics, and there are probably a lot of people in your life that are Roman Catholic, because there are 1.2 billion of them in the 7 billion person world, have no idea that this is what their religion buys into. But they are staunch and dedicated in their Catholicism. Through religion, Satan wants you to think that you can work your way to heaven. He wants you to think that you can earn your own salvation. And he wants you to think that you can pray for the dead to help them earn salvation. He's lying. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this, It is appointed by God for men to die once. And after physical death comes judgment, which is God's evaluation. Sorry, you are not going to be reincarnated. But if you were, you would probably be reincarnated as a toilet seat or a chair. <laughs> you can't work for salvation. Romans, Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says this, If salvation is by grace, and of course it is, first class condition if, it is no longer on the basis of your works. Otherwise, grace, as a free gift from the source of God, is no longer grace. It's no longer free. If you have to work for a free gift, then the work makes you deserve the gift. In salvation, there is no work you could do that is impressive enough to let God let you save yourself. The Lord provides us with the Bible to illuminate the path to heaven. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in Him, you may have the resurrection life in His name. The Bible contains the Lord's exact thinking. It is your owner's manual for life, and it obliterates the delusion that any of us are good people in God's eyes. The Bible says we're all bad people. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Your condition at physical birth is not your fault. 
but it is your circumstance. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ did something about your problem. He has a plan for your life because he doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can you get to heaven? Right where you sit right now. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, and I could say it in my sleep. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, especially the gospel message. And I am the resurrection life, the Zoe life. And no one comes to God the Father but through believing in me. Who is this God that saves you? The apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says this, I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. It's your confirmation that being a good person does not get you to heaven. So it is wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10 verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. He wouldn't even let you snatch him out of his hands. Isn't that awesome? You can lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. And if anyone tells you that you can lose your salvation, they are lying to you. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides, abides on him. You can join me and a host of your believer friends in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. All you have to do is choose it right now. Acts 16.31 Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Let's close with a song. When we get pressure in this life, we tend to evaluate it as a bad thing. I'd say this message today was pressure. Yet all growth comes as a result of pressure. A piece of coal put under pressure becomes a diamond. The people who are most effective in this life are the ones who don't faint in their souls when the pressure comes. These are the ones who have a relationship with God and who understand how he works. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 
says this, After you have suffered for a little while, the God and Father of all grace, who called you believers in Christ to his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Or as June Murphy says in her song, God works. the other mics. 
All right, let's close with words of worship for our Almighty God. Philippians 4, 6 says this. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. The peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through our union with Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for the trials and tribulations that you give us. We thank you for the adversity you give us. We thank you for the pressure you put us under. We pray that you will root out the flesh from our operation as the Barat Ministries leadership team. We pray that you will root out the self in the Barat Ministries leadership team. We, we pray that you will help us to remember that we are Christians who are unified, placed into unity by God the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, that we're in union with Christ and we're in union with each other. We pray that we'll remember that you gave us the spiritual gift to be used and that the body is lesser when the spiritual gifts of people aren't recognized and used for the good of the whole. We pray that you will help us as Christians to stop being complacent We pray that you'll open our spiritual eyes to see the people around us as people and not as things. We pray that you will help us to evangelize to the people that are around us incessantly, just like you will encourage us to pray incessantly so that your work can be done through us. Because if your son was here, He would not stop evangelizing, and he would not stop praying, and we are to reflect his goodness to those we meet. And we pray for the strength to have the courage to be uncomfortable. We pray for the strength to get off of our pride and our egos. We pray for us that, that we're able to look at each other as teammates, and that we're able to care more about our teammates then we care about ourselves. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.